All right, our scripture reading for this morning is in John chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, um, I want to encourage you to take the Bible in front of you as our gift to you. If you own a Bible but you can't find it, take one from here. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, open it up. We're going to read a small portion as we often do. We're going to read more of it as we go through the message together. We're in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We could just chew on this truth and and it would be enough because you are enough. And so help us to to, to lean deeper into that truth and the places that we need to see your grace and your forgiveness, to draw closer to you now and in the season of Lent that we might leave this place and be more like you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. I want to ask you, how would you fill in the blank here on the screen? I am blank. For you, how would you answer that? I am blank. There's no no wrong answer. But what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe it would be an obvious answer. Maybe you would say your name. I am Tom. I am Liz. I am Ted. Maybe, maybe you would fill it in with where you are. I am in Wisconsin. And those would be good answers because I am is informative, right? You could tell somebody about something about yourself by filling in the blank, I am. But, but maybe for you, maybe your mind is still stuck in the announcements. I did mention we're having ham and cheese sliders after church, didn't I? And some of you didn't eat breakfast this morning, did you? And so you would fill in the blank by saying, I am hungry. And the more I talk about it, the more of you are also feeling hungry because I am isn't just informative, it's also influential, isn't it? The more we talk about it, the more we're going to agree. Maybe this week you celebrated something. Maybe you had a great success or accomplishment in school or at work. And so you would say, I am successful. I am hopeful. I am proud. Or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe you experienced a great loss. Maybe this last week you made a big mistake and and you would say, I am discouraged. I am guilty. I am afraid. And and if you say those words, suddenly the dynamic of the conversation changes. You can feel it right now in the room, right? Because I am is intimate. 
See, I am is intimate. It's, it's informative. It's influential. You can fill it with so many things. I am a Christian. I am a Lutheran. I am a Baptist. I'm an atheist. I am a Bear fan. I am a glutton for punishment. <laughs> I, I am married. I am single. I am divorced. I am widowed. I am confused. I am lonely. I am not going to tell you who I am. I am fine. What you fill in that blank matters a lot, doesn't it? Because it defines who you see yourself to be. It defines how you communicate your identity with others. And it also defines how you connect with the people around you. And I start there as introduction to what we're going to be talking about throughout the season of Lent. Because not only do you fill in your own I am blank, but Jesus himself fills in the blank with I am. Seven different times if we're counting in the Gospel of John through the I am statements. And so what we're going to do throughout this season is we're going to take one of them each and every week in the season of Lent and we're going to walk through it together. And we're going to walk through it with the realization that who Jesus says he is will have a very real effect on who we say we are. And so let's, let's dive into the first one this morning, shall we? Uh, we're in John chapter 6. It's, it's kind of toward the, the start of the gospel here. And Jesus doesn't just say, he declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is literally defining himself as the literal substance that we need in order to live. And in order to appreciate what Jesus is teaching us, we've got to kind of go back a little bit to the very beginning of chapter 6. Jesus performed a miracle. It's actually the only miracle that is, is recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection. It's the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you have heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Everybody's heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And you'll notice that in most cases, the I am statements that Jesus shares are going to be coupled with a miracle that is related, something that helps us understand it more. So be on the lookout for that as we go through this series. And, and since most of us are familiar with the story, you know that, that what happened before was Jesus performed signs and wonders and a crowd began to follow him because of what he had been doing. And it says in verse 5 that when Jesus looked up and saw this great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of the disciples, he said, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, I love the details John shares in the story. Two things. First of all, Philip. Why did he ask Philip? Philip's from the neighborhood, okay? And so if anybody would know where are we going to get enough food to feed thousands of people, it would be Philip, okay? But the thing that makes me chuckle is verse 6. Jesus asks him where we're going to eat even though Jesus already knows where we're going to eat. And I think, man, is that not the same conversation every couple has when they go out to eat for a date, right? Right? It's always the same thing. Where do you want to go? One person says that. The other person says, I don't care. You pick. Okay, let's go to Culver's. I don't want to go to Culver's. <laughs> let's get pizza. We always get pizza. 
How about that new supper club, right? I heard that's good. I heard that's expensive. Do you want to go to the salad place that you like to eat? Yeah, let's, let's go there. That may or may not be the exact conversation my wife Alyssa and I have every time we go out to eat. And every single time I accuse her, right, of already knowing where she wants to go before we even decide, but we still have to do the dance. And you're smiling, which tells me you've done the dance too. And so Jesus is doing the dance. He's doing the dance with Philip. And and then Philip answers him by this. He says, Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person here to even just have one bite. In other words, Philip says to Jesus, you know as well as I do, there is not a place near here or anywhere that would have enough food to feed these people. And then another disciple pipes in, because when we're talking about where we're going to go for dinner, everybody has an opinion, right? And so you got another disciple. This is Simon Peter's brother, Andrew. He says, there is a small, there's a boy here, and he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Remember, Jesus knew the entire time what he's about to do. And so why is he asking the questions? Why does he ask the questions? Why does Andrew point out that there's these measly five small loaves of bread and two small fish? And notice the detail. I underlined it here on the screen. Small barley loaves, small fish, as if five big loaves of fish and two, or big loaves of fish, is that how they come (laughs) now? I don't think I wrote it that way. As if five big loaves of bread and two giant fish would have been enough to feed thousands of people. Like, you look at this, there could have been a fish taco food truck in that crowd. And they could have had a trailer of supplies behind the truck. And it still would not have been enough to feed all these people. And that's the reason Jesus does the dance. That's the reason they're having the conversation because what we're about to learn as we go through this whole thing is that when we are not enough, God says, I am enough. When we are not enough, God says, I am enough. And it takes us back to the question that I started with at the very beginning, that I am blank question. How do you fill in your own? I am blank because chances are even the good things that you say you are eventually are not enough. And the the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus took what little they had, which essentially was nothing, and then showed us that nothing plus Jesus equals enough. Nothing plus Jesus equals enough. And it was so amazing they had leftovers and everybody saw that it was a miracle. Twelve baskets full of leftovers they collected. And it says in verse 14 that after the people saw that sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, why would making Jesus king by force be a bad thing? This is something we're going to have to grapple with all the way through Palm Sunday, all the way through the 40 days of Lent. Because you ask yourself, like, like they want to make him king. Who cares, right? I mean, isn't this the way that authority works? Don't you have to use force to prop somebody up at the top of a kingdom? Even in democracy, 
like ours where we have elected officials. Aren't elections won by the force of a campaign? By the force of campaign financing and charisma and whoever it is that's in power, right? This is the way the world works. And so these people were ready to put the political machine behind Jesus, and Jesus won't let them. And the reason why is because Jesus didn't come to be the king for those who have enough money and have enough bread and have enough stuff and have enough power. Jesus came to be the king for those who don't have enough. Jesus came to be the king for those of us who feel like we are not enough. That's the kind of king that he came to be. And just like he fed the thousands, not through force, but through a miracle, he came to be the king that they could not force him to be even if they wanted to. And we'll see that as we continue to go through chapter 6. And I'll skip this part, but afterwards, Jesus does his walk on water thing. That's fun, right? And, and mostly does it just to get away from these crazy crowds that are following him. And then in verse 25, it says, they found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. But it's not because you saw the signs I performed, but it's because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, yesterday they had enough bread, but today they need more. And, and if you've ever eaten a sandwich, you know that's how life works, right? That's how bread works. Bread works that way. You always need more. You, you, you can have your own bread maker. How many of us got a bread maker when we got married? <laughs> and it's in the kitchen, in the cupboard, or in the basement, right? You can buy your own bread maker. You can make bread every day. You can live in a bakery. And there is still a limit to the amount of bread that one can consume. And so the more you make, what ultimately happens is that the more you will see spoil because you will gather so much that you can't eat. And the worst thing about it is eventually you'll be hungry again and all you'll be left with is a pile of spoiled bread. And it brings me back to the original question. I am blank. And I think of all the things that I strive to fill that blank with in my own I am statement, right? right? I want to say I am successful, don't you? I am successful, and yet what kind of success on this side of eternity can you think of that isn't fleeting or relative or temporary? I love when I can say I am right, <laughs> but my wife and kids are here at this service, <laughs> and so they can give you plenty of examples of when I am wrong, there are moments that I feel like I am a good parent or I am a good husband, but then there are so many moments when I have no idea what I'm doing or, or worse, I feel like I am failing. I do fail. I've shared stories. If you're here for the first time, you, you didn't hear the story of when my wife was sick after our second born was born and I failed to be there for her the way that she needed me to be. Maybe, maybe you were here for the story of when, when I dropped my oldest son, who was three years old, on his head. It was an accident, for the record. But still, I felt like a failure 
as a father. I've got five kids, and, and, and some people look at big families and they think they must be really good at being parents. No, I just have five reasons to prove to me every single day that there are moments that I am not enough. Parents, do you feel that way? Husbands, wives, do you feel that way too? Are you, are you in the same boat that I am in? If you say I am happy or I am healthy, there will come a day, won't there, when you will say I am sad or I am sick. If you say I am alive, your last I am statement is the one you won't be able to make with your own voice that says I am dead. And it's true. And it will be true for you and me as well. See, there's nothing wrong with bread. Bread is good. It's necessary to live. And a lot of the other things that I said were good too. We strive to be good parents. We strive to be successful. We strive to feel joy and to be happy and healthy. But just like bread, it will also never be enough. And that is the point that Jesus is trying to make when he says, I am the bread. I am the bread. He didn't just come to bring us a good thing that will not last. He came, us to, came to bring us enough of the thing that will last forever. And so he brings them back to that thing that he came to bring in the first place when he says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So these folks are coming to Jesus, right? He's crossed over the, the lake, right, in the sea, and, and, and they're looking for him because they want more bread to keep them alive today. And, and, and first of all, I want to point out, lest we don't see this, Jesus provided them with bread. And it reminds us Jesus does care about our temporary needs. He does care about feeding us. He does care about making sure we have what we need on this side of eternity. But then he says that he has come to bring bread that will keep them alive forever. He came to bring bread that you can't bake in a bread maker. He came to, to bake bread that, that you could never buy or earn or achieve, that, that, that we can't do ourselves. He came to be enough when you are not enough. And unfortunately, I don't know if you're like me, but most of us are hardwired not to lean on God as being enough for us until we have absolutely exhausted every effort to be enough for ourselves. And so that's, that's why Jesus said that the Son of Man came to give them this food, right? He says, don't work for it. I came to give it to you. And then, of course, they still don't get it. So the next verse, they asked him, what must we do to do the works? I mean, can you laugh with me? <laughs> like, like, right? How many times? How many times does he have to say, there's nothing you can do. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. Look, I made enough food for thousands of people. And, and you had nothing to do with it. You saw that. It was a miracle, right? You chased me down. You found me. And I'm telling you, I'm coming to give you a gift you can't earn. And they say, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus is so graceful. He answers the question, you want work? Work on this. The work of God is to believe. Believe in the one who has sent me. In other words, you can't do 
anything. So stop trying. Believe. Stop trying and believe. Verse 30. So they asked him, and what sign are you going to give us? I mean, as if walking on water and feeding thousands isn't a sign, right? What sign will you give us that we might see it and believe you? What will you do? And then they referred to their common history as Israelites, as Jewish people. He said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is an intimate moment. They need food, right? They need their needs to be met. And they had this time in Hebrew history, and they, they all knew what, what they were talking about. It's in the book of Exodus. If you haven't read the story in the book of Exodus, Israel's wandering around in the wilderness, and they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Maybe you've been in that place. They literally don't know where they're going to get food. And it's out of that moment that through the leadership of Moses, God brings them food. Every single morning, manna from heaven comes. They wake up and there's bread on the ground and there is enough for them to eat. And so they point back at their shared history and say to Jesus, if you're coming to bring bread, what, what is it going to look like? And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives you life and gives life to the world. And so they said, sir, always give us this bread. They're still talking about physical bread. They still want bread. And so Jesus declares, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. You want bread that will make you hungry again. You come to me, you will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you before, you have seen me and you still do not believe. And don't judge them. It's hard to believe. It's hard to trust that God is going to take care of our needs, especially when we don't have enough. And, and it's counterintuitive, right? I, I, even as I was writing my sermon, I wrote this on the page, and I thought, wait a minute, does this make sense? But it does in my life, right? I have an easier time trusting that God's going to take care of me when my needs are already taken care of than I do when I have needs. I don't know where they're going to come from. When I have enough money in the bank, when I have enough bread in my stomach, when my health is good, when I go to the physician and I get a clean bill of health and then I, I'm watching the app for the blood tests, right? I want to see all those numbers and they're all in the green, right? Everything's good, the cholesterol and all that kind of stuff, right? You know what? It's actually really easy for me as a person of faith because I have deep faith and I am a pastor, to sit there and say, God has provided for all of my needs. You know where it's hard for me to trust that God's going to provide for my needs? When those things don't line up. When there isn't money in the bank. Where I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I get crazy when that happens. I start to grab at things. I start to feel afraid because when we're hungry that's what we do we do some crazy things don't we grasping for our needs to be met and yet it is when we are in need it is when we are hungry that we need to trust God the most isn't it it's counterintuitive which is why Jesus came to teach us that when we are not enough I am enough 
God is enough. And, and it's the whole story of Moses. There's all sorts of stuff in between the lines here that the people that are having this conversation just knew. Now, Moses was a Hebrew, right? And, and, and the Hebrew people during the time of Moses in the book of Exodus, they were slaves, for hundreds of years under the Pharaoh in Egypt. And it's this miracle story where, where, where they want to kill all of the, the boys, the Jewish boys that are born. And, and God keeps sparing them. And he spares Moses. And not only does he spare Moses, but Moses ends up getting picked up and essentially adopted by the Pharaoh's own daughter. It's just incredible. In, in the scene that's going on. And not only is he adopted, that sounds sad, right? He lost his family, and yet his own mother still got to have a relationship with him. She got to nurse him. She got to be a part of his life, right? And, and I, I think about that. I think about my own experience in the world of foster care and as an adoptive parent, and that is the best way is, is when we can expand our family. And what a beautiful thing, right? And, and so there's this expansion of Moses' family and his life seems charmed. And then he grew up in the palace, right, with the Pharaoh. He becomes the Pharaoh's daughter's son. And as an adult, he burns every bridge that he built. The first one he burns is he goes out into the, into the, the, the outer parts and, and he sees the Hebrew people, his own people, they're slaves. And he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow brothers. And he kills the Egyptian. And he looks around and he doesn't see anybody. And so he drags the body, and this is not metaphorical, this is what he does, and he, he buries the body in the sand, and he just assumes that no one saw what he did. But you know, right, right? You know that when you do something that you know is wrong, even though nobody saw it or so you think, you begin to label yourself as that, don't you? And that's what Moses did. He began to say, I am a murderer. I am a murderer. And, and then sometime later... He sees two of his own people, two Hebrews, they're fighting, and he, he stops the fight, and they look at him, and they say, whoa, whoa, Moses, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And now he realizes that it wasn't in secret because no sin is ever fully secret forever. It always comes into the light, right? And so now he has not only been separated from his own people, but the Pharaoh finds out he's got to leave, and he says, not only am I a murderer, but now I am rejected i am rejected and he goes hundreds of miles away and flees to a place called midian and he gets married and he tries to live a quiet life in the fields working for his father-in-law and it's in that place exodus chapter 3 verse 2 that an angel of the lord appeared to moses in flames of fire from within a bush the lord speaks through the bush and says to moses go back to egypt you are going to be my instrument. You are going to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. You are going to tell my people, you are no longer going to be slaves. You are going to be going to a place that is flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. You are the people that your ancestor Abraham was given a promise. I have not forgotten you. I am going to do a work through you that is going to be the salvation of the world. And Moses, you are to go. And you are to be my instrument of leadership in this moment. And so Moses says to God, sure. No, 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 no. Moses says, I am a murderer. 
I am rejected. And so he gives God all kinds of reasons through the burning bush. I made a nice fancy chart. <laughs> he says, God, I'm nothing. I can't go. I'm not persuasive enough. You can't send me. I'm not, I'm slow to speech. I can't even talk. I am at the very end, verse 13 of chapter 4, when he gets out of all of his excuses, he says the final one. It's my favorite one. He says to God, I don't want to go. I am unwilling. And I could summarize that whole thing in Moses saying, I am not enough. And you could write your own chart, couldn't you? And all the reasons that you would give God and everybody else as to why you're not enough either. Maybe he would have been enough if God had asked him sooner when he was still growing up in the, the Pharaoh's home. Maybe he would have been enough before he committed that sin of murder, before he ran away and lost everything. But that's not when God calls. And it's probably not when God's going to call you either. And so, so when Moses asks the Lord for his name, he says, who should I tell them sent me? Because it's not going to be on my name. God gives him an incredible name that the Hebrew people would refer to God as for generations to come. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am. This is where we get Yahweh. I am has sent me to you. He says, if you need a name for God, tell them I am. Why? Because when we are not enough, God says, I am enough. And then the voice of God speaks into every single one of the ways he thinks he's not enough. Moses says, I am nothing. God says, I am everything. <laughs> I am the maker of all things. And Moses says, I'm not persuasive. God says, I am the worker of miracles. Moses says, I am slow to speech. God says, I am your voice. Moses says, I am unwilling. And God says, I am your strength. And God wants to do the same thing for you. Because just like Moses was called not only for himself, but to be used by God to save his people as slaves in Egypt, Jesus would come and give himself as the gift that would save you and me from slavery to sin and death. And he would do it by coming to be enough. To be the true bread from heaven that will raise us up on the last day to eternal life. And it has nothing to do with what you have done. It has everything to do with what you believe he is and what he has already done for you. And he has done it for you because he loves you and he came from heaven to redeem you. And so the church spends 40 days in this season of Lent leaning into that truth that we might have an even deeper understanding of it when we leave than when we came. And it begins on Ash Wednesday with dust. And I was really disappointed that we didn't get to share Ash Wednesday together this year. I saw a joke, so many people missed Ash Wednesday this year. It was on social media. It said, I'm giving up Ash Wednesday for Lent this year. Like, okay, see, so you got it. You've done it. You've already given something up. We've all done that thing, right? But, but don't give up this. On Ash Wednesday, we remember, right, that, that where we come from is dust. 
literally, physically, from dust we came and to dust we shall return. And on Ash Wednesday, we remember that by placing ashes on our foreheads in the sign of the cross. And those ashes, you may not know, were made from the previous year's palm branches. The palm branches are the branches that were waved by those who failed to attempt to force Jesus to become a king. And it reminds all of us on Ash Wednesday of the ultimate consequence of the fall of our sin. And it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 that says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so we begin there, at the very beginning of Lent, because at the end of Lent is Easter. And we will celebrate that Jesus himself went into that ground, into that dust, and died. And three days later, rose again. And if you believe that to be true, you will too. And so we begin this season of Lent by considering all of the ways in which we are painfully aware that we are dust. Ways in which we have fallen short. Ways that we have not been enough to ourselves, to others, to God. And ways in which we are not enough. But we don't do it without hope. We do it so that we can bring those things before God and return to him and see that he is enough in all of the ways that we are not enough. And so what I want you to do right now is I want to invite you to take the time that, that we take on Ash Wednesday and I want you to consider those words for yourself. Where are you not enough? Where have you fallen short? Where do you need sustenance that only God can provide? Where does he need to be enough? Allow God to bring those things to the surface of your mind as we pray and as we watch.